Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 16 of the Bomber Brothers Podcast, part of the Pinstripe Alley community of podcasts. Sean and Ryan with you as always. Uh, we also had another great guest this week in Marty Appel. He's a Yankees historian, uh, former Yankees PR director. He is the author of a number of great biographies, including ones on Thurman Munson, Casey Stengel, and he's also the author of Pinstripe Empire. And we had him on this week to just talk about Thurman Munson as we approach the uh, 40th anniversary of his uh, tragic passing. And as always, he had some great stories and insight to talk about when it comes to the former Yankee captain and Yankee great. So we will play that in a short while but first Sean there's obviously so so much to talk about I mean this I feel like I'm still recovering from this uh Yankees twin series which was just um it felt like the felt like the London series uh all that, over again that's a good comparison I I was just I didn't even stay up for that whole uh the whole Hicks catch game but I, I'm glad I didn't because I probably would have died I went to bed after I saw Talkman hit the double which the cameraman made it look like he hit a 700 foot home run just yes. by the angle <laughs> and um yeah I went to bed after Talkman double just so I'm like I have work the next day I knew if I got invested at that point I'd be staying up all night so I was glad to go to bed and then I woke up in the middle of the night and saw all the texts from you and Kyle and uh and Lou, my brother-in-law, and it was was a nice surprise to see they pulled it out and then crazy to watch in the morning. I watched the replays like five times, and last night I was able to stay up for the whole game. And, you know, they, they pull it out, but it, it was an interesting and weird series. Like, I, I'm not – I don't know about you, but I really don't actually take too much stock in anything that happened. It just was so wacky that it's like – you're running into two teams whose offenses are just absolutely clicking on all cylinders and, and you get this kind of ridiculous baseball. And some somebody tweeted that if the Yankees and and um, Twins play in the playoffs, they should just move the series to London and just go all out for arena <laughs> ball. So um, I don't know about that, but, um, you know, we knew that Cashman was looking for a starting pitcher already, so, so we don't have to um, – we don't have to talk about that, but I, I'd be interested to see where the Yankees, what the Yankees look like their next turn through the rotation. Because CC Domingo and Hap all have pitched well as of late, so I'm not overly concerned on this trip through Minnesota, which just turned into, you know, I think the minimum run scored for each team in each game was seven, right? Or maybe the Yankees didn't score seven on the first night, if I'm mistaken. Uh, did they lose eight six the first night? Yeah. So every team scored at six runs per yeah. Yeah, it was it was just wild, and I mean, Tuesday night, that has to be the game of the year so far, just with so much, you know, power surges, lead changes. It felt a lot like Game 5 of the 2017 World Series. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the stakes weren't as large, but it was still two teams that are that are hoping to go on deep October runs, and then just to end, just to end the way it did with Hicks making that catch was... Um, was pretty unbelievable, especially because off not just off the bat, but when they first switched the camera view to Hicks making his uh, break towards left center field, and you see how the ball is tailing away, your thought is kind of like shit. Like this, it's over. Because obviously, if he misses that, that's a bases clearing double, and uh, that's the game. But he made just an un that was an unbelievable play. It's got to be a candidate for catch of the year, and was. Uh, incredibly physically mentally emotionally draining game that they somehow pulled out and i mean just 
given the way the starting pitching performed, to if you were to tell me that they were going to win that series on the road against against a team with uh, over 60 wins, I'd I'd say yeah, of course I'd take it. And um, it was pretty impressive, though. I do feel like this series did um, kind of open some eyes on both sides to what they need to improve if they want to accomplish their goal of, of reaching the World Series. Yankees and Twins. I mean, they they both need some pitching. Yeah, except for the rookie that they brought in yesterday to settle things down, or whoever came in and settled things down for the Twins, that their bullpen was pretty horrible the whole series. And yeah, um, that, I think they did an article on MLB.com or Cut Four about how this is the year the Twins will finally beat the Yankees in the playoffs. And I'm not saying that that's not true, but what I'm gonna say is that the Yankees' strength will play better in the postseason than the Twins' strength because the the Yankees have the advantage in the bullpen. And while the Twins have a slightly better offense, I think once you insert a healthy Gary Sanchez, which we'll have to get to, and Giancarlo Stanton in the lineup, that becomes a wash. And then the Yankees have the advantage in the bullpen, which is more meaningful in the postseason. So we'll see. Um, But, yeah, I I mean, Hicks, dude, how clutch has he been all year? Not even with the catch, but he hits the big home run in the ninth inning. which isn't a go-ahead home run only. It, it's a, it saves them from the loss there with two outs after uh, MVP Talkman, which, you know, <laughs> I, I tweeted that I should have got you his jersey for your birthday instead of LeMahieu, but um, I, that might be serious. I mean, he's been killing, the, <laughs> killing it. Big, big walk sets up the two-run homer, but, I, I mean, Hicks hit the home run in Tampa Bay, hit another big homer last night. Um, he, and we, when we talked about who was going to get hot – we were right about Didi being the next one to get hot. All three of them did. <laughs> uh, everybody but Sanchez, which, you know, he got babbed to death and then pulled his groin, which sucks. But, um, yeah, I mean, Hicks has been unbelievably clutch and huge for the Yankees this year. Yeah, oh, I was I was talking about the trio of Hicks, Didi, and Encarnacion because he had, because last time we talked, we were wondering when he was going to, or I think we had talked about he was just starting to to come out of it, and now he seems very, very much out of it. Uh, and that felt like a big home run he hit last night, too, to make it a three-run lead, because you knew that after what had happened the night before, Chapman probably was going to be a little bit gassed, um, and that extra run really helped. Yeah, and you hope Encarnacion's foot is okay. He fouled one flush right off his foot. It looked like it hurt really bad, and then he steps in crushes a home run limps around the bases and he gets a stuffed animal parrot after uh, <laughs> after the home run which i love it seems it seems like this team's having a lot of fun it has a really 2017 feel to it and um and yeah i mean obviously still some uh some blemishes from this series that need to be addressed like the starting pitching mean, meanwhile marcus stroman was unbelievable last night Hopefully, uh, hopefully Cashman was watching, and so was Corbin. Yep, I know. Well, <laughs> sorry, we're, we're not here to talk about the past. <laughs> uh, uh, and then the other blemish, of course, like you mentioned, Gary Sanchez uh, going to the IL. It's a Grade One strain, which is obviously the uh, best case scenario when it comes to strains. But this is also an issue that Sanchez dealt with a, a couple of times last year, so you'd imagine they're going to be very cautious. And even Boone said that he wouldn't rule out a September return, not August. So, I mean, this could be an extended absence. Obviously, you just want him to get fully healthy because we saw what Sanchez was like fully healthy through the first three months of the season. So, I mean, you know, now it's time for 
Austin Romine to step up. I know, I know, just like anybody, he he would perform better in an everyday role when he wasn't, you know, trying to shake off rust every time he comes into play. But he has also been very poor offensively this year, and you hope him and Higashioka can uh, provide some sort of offense. Obviously, well, you're not expecting much. I was glad that Boone said that him and Higgy would split the duties, which makes it sound like they're not going to just play Romine every day, which, I mean, nothing against Romine. He's a good backup catcher, but he's a backup catcher. So not playing him every day is a pretty, pretty bad idea. So I'd rather see the get Higgy in there once in a while. And, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, when when it happened, I – I was obviously really bummed, but then I was thinking, you know what, if it could just be a 10 day thing, it might be good for him to just reset because he was slumping and then he actually started hitting the ball well and just hitting to bad luck. So, I I mean, maybe it gives him some time to just get his head clear, but I I don't think it'll take until September. I think maybe the Yankees are building in some softness there, given what happened last year and given everything that's happened this year. Um, You know, a grade one strain, like we said, it's not, it's not the worst thing in the world. And, um, Hopefully Gary comes back and gets back to the way that he's been hitting. I mean, before the before the All Star break, so we'll we'll see. But the most important thing is that just to get him healthy. Period. I mean, even it does take till September. I mean, they have enough of a lead in division. Unfortunately, Stanton still sounds like that's going really slow. But you'll get Maven back. Will be a professional bat. And with the Encarnacion thing off the foot, just to change gears a little bit. Um, what the heck's going on with Gardner? And, and like, at some point they got to make a move if he can't play. I mean, the ten day DL, the ten day IL is already like halfway used up. You just you can make it retroactive. But if Encarnacion can't go today at Fenway, then you're going to be playing with a one man bench. Yeah, the Yankees, uh, they have not set themselves up well for this Boston series, specifically with the pitching, because so many relievers had to be used in extended stints because the starting pitching was so bad. Well. Sorry to cut in, but they didn't use um, Green, uh, Green, Ottavino, or Britton last night, correct? Because Canley came in after um, Cortez. Yeah, I, so I, I know, but just a, a four-game series right after this. That's uh, yeah, it'll take a lot to uh, to get through that, especially with Boston's offense. I know they haven't. I know they only managed one hit against the Orioles a few days ago, but this is still <laughs> this is still a, a high-powered offense. But, yeah, um, you know, with Gardner, I think I last saw that he was doing work in the outfield before um, last night's game, which would be uh, Wednesday night, and that he was hoping to play today, Thursday. So maybe, I don't know, maybe they just feel like they were going to give him a few days off and now he's ready to go again. We'll obviously find out in a few hours if that's the case but um yeah i mean if if he wasn't i yeah i feel like a just a true 10-day il stint would have been the the best way to go but especially with the way talkman's playing yeah i was about to say luckily talkman is playing like mike trout so he gardner hasn't been missed too much and getting some probably much needed rest considering how much he he played through the first 90 games of the season it's well documented how quickly he can fall off uh, in the second half of a season as he gets too many miles on those legs, and maybe this is a good way to just get him a few days off. Yeah, that, that's true. Give him a little bit of a reset, but we'll see. Um, anything else on Minnesota? I mean, 
between Minnesota and Colorado games, like the Yankees have four guys in the last week with OPS or five guys with OPS is over a thousand. So, I mean, everybody's been pretty much killing the ball. Yeah. Yeah, they have. And they've, they've needed it since Sunday, at least with, uh, the way the starting pitching has looked through this turn. And like you said, the starting pitching was actually doing, doing well before this most recent turn. But, um, I, you know, if, if the, if the pitching is going to pitch this poor, the Yankees are still going to win three of those four games, and it's enough for, you know, to rattle the front office to be like, all right, we need to go out and get a guy now. Then, good, because I I think even if even if the Yankees pitched well this turn in the rotation, they still need a starter, and I would love to see them go and get Stroman right now, especially because that would keep them away from other teams like Boston or. If Boston decides to be buyers, which is pretty unbelievable to think about. I mean, if 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 you think about it, given what the word has been in the Boston area, if the Yankees were to somehow able to take three or four, sweep this four-game series, which I don't expect, but if they were able to, I mean, they, they could potentially push the Red Sox into being sellers at the deadline. It's pretty wild to, to think about. Yeah, um... I mean that that's the rumor, but I don't know. I have a hard time believing the Red Sox would would do that, especially coming off a World Series year. And they're only have they're not they're barely out of a out of a wild card spot. Yeah, no, I, it's that's what the word is, though. I, I'm probably wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't true. But. Yeah, I mean they're two games back of the wild card, eleven back of the division, but they still have a bunch of games with us left, so they could probably fake themselves into believing that they could do it. Um, their run differential is plus fifty seven, so it's not like their record is not indic- indicative of how they've been playing at fifty six and forty seven. So I don't know. Isn't it wild though? Like you could, they would be leading the wild card in the in the National League. Anyway, yeah. National League just kind of, kind of different. The American League so top heavy. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I would love to crush them, but I, I don't know if that happens because I think after having, I think the two hundred and eight day, eight degree days in the sun had to sap a lot of energy out of the Yankees. They show up at Minnesota, get run off, get run off in the first game, then play an epic game Tuesday night, and then another long game last night. I'm expecting tonight. Um, to be a little bit like that first game back from London, where I think you're going to see a uh, a team that looks a little bit tired. If, uh, but who knows? I mean, Tanaka on the mound, he's always pitched well in big games, and um, he's had a couple gems at Fenway. Who knows? Maybe he could come out and shut shut the Red Sox down and get, get the series off on the right foot. But at the same time, I, I expect the Yankees would probably show up pretty tired uh, this evening. And what the hell, by the way, why the hell are we playing an 8 o'clock game in Minnesota when we have a, a 7 o'clock game all the way on the East Coast the next night? Like, that's ridiculous. There should be some – you shouldn't be able to play past 5 o'clock on a travel day. Like, the Yankees should have played at 5 o'clock or 4 o'clock Central time. Been able to get on their plane at nine o'clock at night, be in Fenway, be you know, be in Boston by midnight, get a decent night's sleep. Instead, I'm sure they got in at three in the morning, and now they're going to be all tired today. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen like a four, like you said, a four o'clock game. Yeah. Um, but whatever. Especially coming back to the East Coast, I mean, it's it's insane. Well, I mean, I know every team wants to get the Yankees in prime time for ticket sales, but if you did a late afternoon game, you're still going to get a ton of kids to go to the game. It's uh, whatever. It's stupid. We deal with this all the time. 
And we're on Sunday Night Baseball again this week, but at least we have a day off the next day. Yeah, yay, Sunday Night Baseball. Yankees, mm. Yankees Red Sox. <laughs> Book it oh, for we'll four see. and a half hours. I mean, it should be a good series. The pitching matchups seem fairly even for, for most of the series. But, dude, Paxton's got to step it up. I'm sick of his shit. I mean, <laughs> a 4.2 ERA. Man, this is the pitcher I thought we were trading for. That's all I'll say. I'm I'm kind of in the camp of I just think he's probably still hurt a little with that with that knee. He came back really fast. Maybe it's just still bothering him. Um, and I'm also in the camp that they should pair him with an opener because he's yeah. particularly awful in the first inning. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, I mean, we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be against the opener. The only problem is then does his second inning become his first inning and he just sucks in the second inning. But I think it's at least worth a try because the Yankees have done awesome with opener games. And, um, you know, unfortunately we can't throw one in to give everybody an extra day's rest here because of what's happened in Minnesota. What's your prediction for the, for the Boston series? Prediction? Um, probably a split, 2-2 split. Yeah, that that's fair. Ooh, uh, their big their big acquisition, Cashner's pitching tomorrow. Yeah, Porcello and Cashner, and obviously Porcello has not been not been great and was tattooed by the Yankees last time. Although that was in London, so it would it would be nice to if they could jump out and grab these first two games. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, well, Eduardo Rodriguez has his. I mean, he's twelve and four, but he's got like a plus four ERA, but he's pitched well lately. He's only given up three runs in his last three starts. Pretty good. And then Sale on Sunday, which who knows what Sale shows up there. Yeah, and, and the Red Sox haven't been particularly good at Fenway this year, which has been interesting. That always pisses Grandpa off. I love it. <laughs> anyway, but um, I guess – Going all the way back, the day after we released our let the day we released our last episode was a rainout, and then they played the doubleheader where they swept the Rays into into oblivion. I mean, to put them like ten back or whatever. Now they're eleven back, I guess. And um, the 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 first game out, I'm sitting at home working from home, and Aaron Judge starts talking about the fucking savages in the box. I Aaron, mean, Aaron Boone, Aaron Boone. Aaron, Aaron Boone. It would have been even more wild if Aaron Judge went, <laughs> went on a rant like that, considering He's, he barely uh, acknowledges the umps. He needs to say something. Because, again, last night you're getting this shit with these calls bo- below the zone. It's it's embarrassing for the umpires. I don't know how they don't correct it, but he just needs to blow up once just to draw some attention to it. Or what you could do is just have Boone in the postgame press conference say MLB needs to fix – like he doesn't even need to get thrown out. He can just say it in a fe- press conference. Like MLB needs to take a look at this. The umpires are doing an embarrassing job on these low strike zone calls. Like that's all you have to say. That will get enough attention where people – like, you know, and you don't need to get a guy lost from the game even. But somebody needs to say something. And it doesn't need to be as vague as, as, um, as it was on Thursday. But – Thursday was awesome when and John Boy did a great job of isolating that audio. Um, he's done an awesome job um, oh, yeah. with, with that for years, and it's cool that he got a lot of attention for that. So congrats to him. Um, and it, it was such a good video. I've seen so many good things based off of it. I saw the um, I don't know if you saw the video with uh, Gardner hitting the bat on the 
on the ceiling of the dugout, and he they did the beat to "Ain't No Hollow Back Girl." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when Stefani shout out there, um, but yeah, that was that had so many mom- so many good moments. What you think about that? Um, it, I thought it was the highlight of, of the season so far. It was hilarious. I mean, I, I I've watched the John Boy video like ten times right after it happened, and I was just uncontrollably laughing. I, I like like the. The fucking savages in the box was obviously the hi- the highlight of it, but one of the most underrated parts for me was when he just stops and he's like, "I feel bad for you." <laughs> I don't for I lost it every time he said it. Just like the way he said it, it was like a kind of like a a quick like <laughs> quick like reverse of going from absolutely berating this guy to like I feel bad for you, and then he just goes right back to losing it. It was it was hilarious, and then. And then again, like the uh, another highlight is Gardner just deciding to pummel the top of the uh, dugout roof, and And then Hicks, and then you just see Hicks like just like not trying not to break his focus, just like looking out at the field. But then he starts like breaking out into a smile, trying not to laugh. It was, oh man, it was it was super funny. I mean, Boone had. Boone just seems to have one epic rant in him each year because last year was the one where he got behind the plate and. Tried to show the ump what's <laughs> what's a strike and what's not from a catcher's perspective, so um, it was it was really really funny. That was a uh, that was fantastic. I think uh, I think Boone's absolutely ready to go to bat for his players and and get himself tossed to uh, fire the guys up or let or send the umps a message. And he just picks and chooses when he does it based on um, you know the reaction from his players. He probably doesn't go out and flip out on the umps when judge strikes out because judge's reaction doesn't seem to uh to warrant it because he always just you know gets pissed real quick and then calmly walks back to the dugout that boone probably saw the way gardner reacted and then while that was happening another egregious call to lemayhu um right before boone came oh, out that is so outside <laughs> <laughs> that that was pretty much exactly the kind of reaction i would expect from lemayhu on a bad strike call just like pissed off but like calmly like brennan that was so far outside like won't curse or anything <laughs> but um yeah that was uh that was epic obviously the t-shirts started uh piling up on on the internet for people to order and uh yeah, fucking savages in the box is the new ass in the jackpot. <laughs> savages in the box, always pretty lit. If I was talking to you, I'd be <laughs> talking to you. We had a great week for t-shirts and everything last week. Did you see the Hicks one that Rotoware put out? By the way. Oh yeah, the there's with the, uh, Ruko's call yeah, is, is that's Ruko, awesome. Yep, that is awesome. Yeah, that that was awesome. Um, you know, bomber brother guest Ryan Ruko making a sick call. The Spanish call was really good too. Another. Yep. Honor Brothers guest Ricky Ricardo reached out to have Susan Waldman on, but she didn't return my email, unfortunately. So, what are you going to do? Oh well, yeah, she's obviously at, at the top of our wish list. She'd be awesome to have on, but we'll see. Um, but we did have but, a guest this week. If if you uh, want to get to that, but unless there's uh, some things we need to, any loose ends we need to tie up beforehand. I was just going to say one of the impressive things um, about the about last week was the way Domingo had nothing on Thursday in the, the Savages game um, in the first inning and was able to pitch a completely different game. I thought that was really impressive. Obviously, Tuesday he had nothing. He really nothing had nothing. <laughs> yeah, he had no plan B to go to. And then the, the bullpen day on, on 
Thursday in the second game was re- really good as well. And um, yeah, I was just going to say it's encouraging. And like I said, I, I don't take too much away from the Minnesota series because um, up until he got probably heat exhaustion, Tanaka pitched really well and um, and, and Hap pitched, pitched well in his start as well on Friday night. So I, I, I'm excited to see what the rotation does another time through. And um, I, I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut in, but let's talk to Marty and remember uh, Thurman Munson. Yeah, our father's favorite player of all time. We remember him as we approach the 40th anniversary of his passing, and we have the perfect person on to talk about it. He uh, worked with Thurman for so many years as a Yankees PR director and now is a Yankees historian, wrote a great, great book about the life of Thurman Munson. And um, we were, well, Sean, I should say, was was able to speak to him due to scheduling. I screwed up. (laughs) <laughs> Due to scheduling conflicts on my end, Sean went solo for the first time interviewing. I apologize in advance to everybody that's about to listen to this. <laughs> I'm sure it was fine, and everyone else can uh, be the judge of that as well. So here he is, Sean and Marty Appel, after a quick break. Okay, and we are joined now by Marty Appel, Yankees historian, former PR director from the Yankees in the 1970s, and author of a bunch of great baseball books, including Pinstripe Empire, Casey Stengel, Baseball's Greatest Character, and the Thurman Munson uh, biography, The Life and Death of the Yankee Captain. And as we approach the anniversary of Thurman Munson's death, Marty, we'd love to talk to you a little bit about Thurman Munson, so thanks for doing this with us. We appreciate it. Well, my pleasure. I love talking about Thurman. You know, my career kind of paralleled his. Um, he was drafted in 68. That was the year I started working for the Yankees. We formed a friendship when she, once he got to the major leagues. So it's hard to believe it's been 40 years now, but uh, the memory lingers for sure. Absolutely, and it's something that I think all Yankee fans, even for someone like my age, haven't, uh, you know, we feel the magnitude of it, and I'm glad you talked about your friendship, because I wanted to know, was writing a biography on Thurman especially difficult, given the tragic circumstances of his passing? Well, sure, because uh, first, there was a friendship, and then second, you're writing this, and you know where the story's going, so that's a difficult uh, thing to overcome. But it was so well-received by Munson fans and even younger fans who really didn't get to see him play. So uh, that was really rewarding that uh, made the Times bestseller list, which told me that there was still a lot of people out there in uh, the Yankee universe that cared. I, I can tell you a lot of people did. My my father told me after reading it when I told him I was going to interview you, he said, I actually have no questions. The book was so great at this point. Oh. So, so, <laughs> like, so I was like, okay. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one of the things uh, about Thurman is, you know, he, on the, the positive side, he was a tremendous postseason performer. And based off your dealings with him as your friendship grew as the PR director, did, did you know the mentality, he had that sort of hard-nosed mentality, would, would lead him to have success on, on the biggest stage? Oh, yeah. From the day he arrived, this guy was a winner. The, and the pitching staff, even the veterans on the pitching staff, like Stottlemyre and Peterson, they just loved this guy, the way he called the game and the way he took command back there. Although Stottlemyre and Bobby Mercer and a couple other guys were already in place, Thurman was really the first key in what became a dynasty in the 70s. And we knew from day one that this was the real deal. 
And, and speaking of that dynasty, um, in the miniseries, the, the Bronx is burning, they have a scene where Reggie's introduced at a press conference, and, and Munson leans over dur- during that press conference and says to the Yankees president at the time, when George told me I was going to be captain, he also told me I'd be the highest paid Yankee as Reggie's there getting his big contract. Is that out of character for Thurman or in character? And how hard was it, was it for him to take on that burden of being the first Yankee captain since Luke Eric? That didn't, the captaincy didn't really mean that much to him, and he didn't really even understand what his role was going to be. Was I, He asked, am I supposed to bring out the lineup cards at the start of the game? So that was something he needed to just adapt to. Uh, he wasn't steeped in Yankee history. Uh, I'm not sure he could tell you much about Lou Gehrig other than knowing his name. Um, but he came to respect the position and, and the honor that went with it. And the longer you're with the organization, the more you do learn about the uh, the history of the club and, you know, you feel that vitality. Um, it did not surprise me, because he was a good businessman, when he jumped on the Reggie signing as a key for him to have his salary increased, because he said he did have that understanding with Mr. Steinbrenner that he'd be the highest paid. And that's, it seems like he had a very uh, strong competitive streak, and there was a great story uh, that I read where I believe it was you that put in the media notes that Fisk had more putouts than he did, and, and he purposely dropped a couple third assists there. Not putouts, assists. Put out, sorry, assists. <laughs> and he dropped a couple of third strikes to pick up a couple of assists and like, was yeah. pointing at you up in the press box. Did you guys ever revisit that, or was it just kind of left unsaid? And I didn't go back to touch it again. Oh, I mean, I talked to him after the game. I said, was that for me? (laughs) Do I have uh, any part of those assists in the record book? So he just laughed. He never really acknowledged it or anything. By the way, you referred to that scene in the Bronx is Burning on the Reggie press conference. I'm glad you cited that scene because I'm in the scene playing myself. They gave me a part at the table. I'm on the extreme left, and that was my big uh, star turn. <laughs> I got to play myself 25 years earlier. <laughs> well, I mean, with all the CGI they do for the movies today, they could have probably made you look just the same, but I'll have to go back and check that out. Right. Um, you know, the last time we talked to you actually was about when that documentary 14 Back came out about the 78 team. And one of the things I noticed in that was that many of the Yankees they interviewed were not overly warm when talking about Reggie, almost to the point where you could tell that some of them didn't have a trust or or a caring for for them. Do you think that stems from, as you said, when Munson came up, everybody kind of just gravitated toward him. Do you think think when Reggie dropped that straw that stirs the drink line, it just alienated him from the Yankees and that first impression was hard for him to recover in that clubhouse? Absolutely. uh, It was Thurman's clubhouse. He was the man, and Reggie just alienated himself from the entire rest of the roster, with the possible exception of Fran Healy, who was such a good politician that he could work both sides of the room. But um, that was a big and stupid setback for Reggie Jackson. But you know what? Winning solves a lot of things, and by the end of the year, they were world champions. And when he hits that third home run in the final game of the World Series, nobody's got a bigger smile in the dugout than Thurman Munson. Absolutely, that's a uh, that, that's a pretty iconic shot. And 
Um, do you have any particular favorite months and moments that maybe maybe the fan that knows everything? I mean, not, obviously the, the big home run against the Royals, and that, that's a classic moment. And then you know the '76 season when he wins the MVP. What, what are your favorite memories of, of Thurman the person? Well, it's very personal. I mean, we went to dinner a lot of times and everything, so I'm not sure it's a spectacular story for a fan. But um, the first book that I wrote was a really big book with biographies on all the Hall of Famers called Baseball's Best. And in those days, before there was online communications, uh, an author would receive galley pages of the whole book to proofread. So this was like a 500-page book, so the box with the galley pages weighed a ton. It was huge, and I had to get that home to start proofreading it. So I'm beginning to struggle with this oversized box to get it out to my car, and who comes along whistling the Burger King theme song? Thurman Munson. Thurman, I got something for you to carry out to my car. And I just flip it to him, and he's happy as could be. He's singing the Burger King jingle, and he's walking with my box of galley proofs out to my car. And it's just a funny moment that I still think about sometimes. It sounds like it captures sort of the relationship that maybe you would have with, with, with a, a friend that a lot of people don't get to see. I think that's a really, a really cool story. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things that you really unearth in, in the Thurman Munson book that you wrote is his family life uh, obviously was not the happiest growing up, and he kind of aspired to be a, a good, he, well, not kind of, he aspired to be a good father and a good husband. Um, how did that childhood that he had shape the person he would become as, as a husband and father and as a ball player? His father was really not a good guy or a good father, and it was a very strained relationship there. But sometimes these things just perpetuate over the generations. And it turned out that his own, that his father's childhood was equally poor. There wasn't a very loving home that he grew up in. So here's a bad cycle that goes down from generation to generation, and Thurman just put a stop to it. He said, that's not going to be my family, that's not going to be my life. And he was determined to be a great dad and a great husband, a great family man. And that was really the motivation for learning aviation and to be able to spend more time with the family, get home after games. So um, that was the motivation, and it's kind of a Shakespearean tragedy, of course, the way it winds up ending. But um, that's a great accomplishment to just be able to put a stop to that ugly cycle of bad, uh, bad home life. Absolutely, and as you said, it is Shakespearean, and I think that's why that probably lives on in the minds of Yankee fans and in the, the history of the franchise, whether it be the locker or, or just his memory. And, you know, one thing in baseball history is the Baseball Hall of Fame. Are you surprised that he never got a little bit more consideration than he did for the Hall of Fame? I mean, we just saw Harold Baines get in, and not to speak ill of Harold Baines, but when you look at the career that, that Thurman had, for the short time he, he he was able to play. He was at the absolute pinnacle of the sport and, and the position. Yeah, well, when you say short time, I think that was the problem. And even though, you know, the reason it was short was so tragic and horrible, I think ultimately that was 
why he didn't get enough votes in 15 tries. Uh, the lifetime statistics weren't there, plus the fact that in his final year, it seemed as though the catching part of his career had wound down. His legs were feeling the pain of nine years of catching, and uh, it looked like he was headed to be a DH or a first baseman, and not a guy that was going to hit 25 or 30 home runs in doing that. So I think a lot of people rationalize that, well, if he hadn't started a slip in that last year, who knows what might have come. But I think some people felt we'd seen the best of Thurman Munson and it was going to be a little downhill from there. Yeah, but one thing he was able to always do was, was, was tune out sort of the noise going on around him with the Bronx Zoo. Um, you know, going back to his personality, how did he handle all the all the craziness that would go on around him during the, the Billy, Billy he Reggie, was, George? Yeah, he would just say, I'm just happy to be here and have no further comment. <laughs> well, Marty, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your memories of a great ball player and, and one, of your, one of your friends. We really appreciate it. So that's Marty Appel, everybody. Thank you, Marty. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, everybody, that was Marty Appel on the Bomber Brothers podcast, and um, I hope I didn't stutter and, and sound too weird, but it was my first time doing an interview on my own. And I, well, the thing I got from talking to Marty, Ryan, was that he genuinely was good friends with Munson, and I felt like it was probably difficult for him to talk about, and I appreciated that he took the time to discuss his late friend and, and the late Yankee great, Thurman Munson. Yeah, I mean, we have talked to him last year as well when, when um, the 14 back, documentary came out on a for from sports illustrated and you just you see how much access he had to the teams of that era and obviously thurman was right in the middle of all of that and yeah he i'm sure he did build a friendship with with thurman and a bunch of the other guys in that clubhouse at that time chambliss and um Mm -hmm. reggie bucky all those guys from those world series teams and i'm sure it was an interesting time to be an employee of the yankees it was uh right at the beginning of Steinbrenner's first competitive teams and I'm sure he's I'm sure he has so many more stories that we haven't even been able to ask him over the past couple years and some that he probably haven't even made it into the number of fantastic books he's written so he's always a, a great guy to talk to and just keeps you fully engaged just because he has so many great stories uh, and sometimes very funny stories about uh those Yankees years. Yeah, I mean, he pulls out a story I've never heard before about Munson helping him bring stuff out to his car. Like, just like, yeah, I'll, I'll help you carry this big heavy box of papers for you. And he was, you know, it's nice to kind of get that perspective on players when we just have the Yankeeographies and Yankee history and stories from dad to go by. So it's nice to get a little perspective. And, and one of the things we spoke to him before 14 back came out um, last year, one of the things that I was able to ask him was, in 14 back, it, it comes across that a lot of the Yankees that were interviewed do not like Reggie Jackson. And he and what I asked him and what he indicated was a lot of that stemmed from this 
straw that stirs the drink comment and that that was Munson's clubhouse. They, they love their captain and you went against one of your boys. And that's something that I think the Yankees have done a great job with in their clubhouse is that everybody that's been brought in, whether it be John Carlos Stanton, uh, James Paxton, um, or any of the rookies, they've, they've meshed right in and there hasn't been any divide. So the Yankees have done a good job, uh, led definitely by CC, I think, and Gardner at uh, having a good clubhouse. And, and Judge, I'm sure, is, is contributing to that as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're giving each other stuffed animals after home runs. It seems like a, a really fun clubhouse, fog machines, strobe lights, all that all that good stuff. I mean, could you could you imagine just in the age of, of Twitter and people being able to just pull out video up on their phone, just like how insane it, those Yankee years of the mid to late 70s would have been in, in this day and age, given all the chaos that was uh, swirling around them. And yet they and yet they kept winning. It'd be like if the Knicks were winners, I guess. <laughs> well, but know, that, that's not happen. a realistic, yeah. That. But the Yankees might be bringing somebody else new into the clubhouse. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they're going to do something at the deadline, and I, I just don't know exactly what it is. What's your prediction for the trade deadline? Because I think by the next time we talk, we'll be through the deadline, right? Deadline's on Wednesday. Yeah, yep. So what's what's your prediction? Who are we, who are we getting? My prediction is Stroman. That's what my uh, that's what my head and my heart tells me because I think that's the best move the Yankees can make. Look, I know that they have guys scouting Bauer, and I know he's actually a, a really good pitcher. But I mean, we just spent a minute talking about how great the clubhouse is, and I just don't think that would be that would be the best fit. And um, and yeah, Stroman has success against the AL East. We already know that he's friendly with a number of guys in the Yankee clubhouse he pitched great last night he's been having a good year and um that's 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 the guy I want uh is is Stroman you don't even know what's going to happen with Bumgarner are the Giants even going to sell anymore um the Mets screwed that up for us (laughs) yeah so thanks a lot to the Mets um Syndergaard is a pipe dream that is not happening uh same thing with Boyd I, I would say I would say right now in terms of realistic options, I'm looking at Stroman or Robbie Ray. Or I think that's it for me. What about Lance Lynn? No, <laughs> dude, been he's there, been awesome. been, that's I, know, so I know he has, but been there, done that. Uh, yeah, uh, I want Stroman too. He's my target. I already traded for him in MLB The Show, so now he has to come to the Yankees. It's the who um, did you have to give up? Uh, I don't even remember exactly who I traded. I think. Well, that's a good sign. I think Greg Bird was in that mix. Uh, um, I could live with that at this point. So, yeah, no, nobody fantastic. Um, but I think Bird was in there, and maybe Jay Happ too. I could so. also very much live with that. Although, although the Yankees need to add starters, I don't even know if if getting rid of another one would uh would be the best idea even though Happ has been poor I mean the Yankees just need people to to eat up innings through the rest of the season and keep that bullpen fresh for for the postseason well I just I don't like pitching with him in the show you know some guys you just don't like to pitch with so that was why he he was cast away oh that's that's true but yeah I want Stroman I think he's got he's he's in the prime of his career having a good year and he's pitched in this division and more importantly um, well, maybe not more importantly, but he also he has the right the right makeup for New York and for the postseason. He kind of is the guy that I feel like welcomes the big stage and, and performs well on the big stage. Um, 
So it'd be, I think he'd be fun, and I think he would add some of that swagger that we talked about the Yankees getting back after the CC blow-up. Uh, I think that would just add to it and, and add to the Yankees' confidence. And, and that stuff in the rotation can sometimes be infectious. So um, I'm all in on Stroman. I understand it's going to take a lot, but I'm prepared to give up a lot. Yeah, look, some people, you know, a lot of fans tend to just cling so tightly to prospects because of their potential or because they're being hyped up in the minor leagues. And look, sometimes you have prospects for the purpose of trading them for people that are already established major leaguers. That's just how the league works. Obviously, there's a, obviously there are certain prospects along the way, like Glaber Torres, who becomes untradeable because he's just on a completely different level. And looking at how Torres has performed the first two years of his career, that's extremely warranted. But you know, aside from those blue chip uh, phenoms, prospects are there to help you get other established big league talent and build up the roster. So I, I really don't have a problem with parting ways with a Clint Frazier or even a Debbie Garcia, despite all the hype that has been around him. The Yankees are the Yankees window is, is right now. So they, they should be going all in for this season and. Hopefully that results in Stroman or another pitcher that can boost this rotation because they the rotation definitely needs a boost. I know this one turn through the rotation has kind of been um, an extremity given how bad they have been, but that's still a, that still could be a sign of how they would perform against the top offenses in the league, which is what they would be facing in the playoffs. Do you think Debbie Garcia and... Um... And uh, Frazier get it done, two for one right there. I mean, maybe they have to add in another lower level prospect, but I, I feel like I feel like them too, and then another low, lower level prospect could help get it done. You pull the trigger on that. I do. The Yanks. I do. Yeah. Cool. I'm cool with that too. I think Frazier doesn't have a spot on this team moving forward, just given the outfield situation with Hicks locked up, Stanton, Judge, etc. And Talkman, obviously. And um, I, you know what? I think Debbie's been awesome, but his control can sometimes be erratic. He walks quite a few guys. And um, he's a 5'9 starter. And we've seen with guys like Sheffield, the height thing usually is important for, for pitchers. <laughs> well, that's ironic uh, considering we're pushing for Stroman. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But he's proven it. And and we've seen guys. Um, what I'm saying is there, there's a lot of comparisons that can be made between him and Justice Sheffield. But um, Yeah, who has been very, very bad this year. Yeah, I mean, even though the Stroman thing hasn't, I mean, the uh, Paxton thing hasn't worked out so far. It's not like it's worked out for the Mariners either. But, yeah, I would totally do that. Um, and let's, let's hope next week we're talking about getting Stroman. And um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset with Lance Lynn. I think it would add some depth to the rotation. It would just be kind of ironic, that's all. But anyway, uh, any, any closing thoughts? Do you want to have like a Mike Talkman appreciation moment or – <laughs> or just, is there anything we could even say about Talkman? Um, he has surpassed DJ LeMahieu in the MVP discussion. I don't know. Uh, he's been awesome. He's been so much fun to watch. He's, uh, I mean, him seeing him leg out that triple last night and just like pounding the ground. That slide was, was amazing. Yeah, it was, it, was, <laughs> it was definitely more graceful than Edwin Encarnacion's two slides uh, over, over that series. But no, I mean, Talkman, Talkman has been fantastic and coming at a coming at a great time with guys like uh sanchez struggling and now hurt 
So he's been a, a great extra bat that's producing at a high level. Let's let's hope that continues into Fenway Park and the Yankees could uh, win it, win another series and, and put the Red Sox away. That would be fantastic. That's that's what I'm looking forward to the, this weekend. The potential of uh, the Yankees to put the Red Sox away or completely out of reach, however you want to say it. And, um, and then I guess I'm also going on vacation on Saturday. So that's what also what I'm looking forward to. What about you? Um, I guess, yeah, I got to say we're looking forward to the, the Yank Sox series, which I am for sure. So that'll be fun. Probably a little bit exhausting, but um, yeah, I mean, just looking forward to watching the Yanks and the Red Sox. What, what gets better than that in, in the middle of the summer? A little four-game set at Fenway. Four-game set. O- over under, let's see, over under 18 total hours of, of, of game time. And four games? <laughs> yeah. I'll put it at about, that's about four hours and 15 minutes a game. I'd say that's mm. reasonable. <laughs> I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to hit the under. I hope so. Because I, I think right. I think tonight will be a relatively quick game because I think the Yanks are going to be tired. Um, we'll see. We'll take it from there. But I'm going to start off with tonight being a, a quicker game. Right. But who knows? I mean, they, every game could be 13 to 10. And, yep. Know, whatever. But just get a split. That's all you need to do. Keep them friggin' a decade back and, and we're good. Yeah, I'd say that's that's a good goal, especially given – everything they had to exhaust over the last three days but we'll see if they can get that obviously a series win would be fantastic we will we will see and we'll talk about the series next week and hopefully some team altering trades that make the yankees rotation much better uh in the meantime uh stay up to date on twitter follow jeff uh passan and ken rosenthal and uh don't fall for any fakes. Watch that blue check mark. Yes, keep an eye on the blue check mark. And um, and we will talk about any trades next week. And until then, enjoy some more baseball. Have a good time, everybody. And don't freak out when the Yankees lose games. Everybody was freaking out after Monday night last week and this week. Oh, and man, then they yeah. bounced back. I mean, this team is resilient. Like to, to have the kind of win they had Tuesday, have some faith in the boys. It's a fun year. Enjoy the regular season. But all right, everybody, we'll see you later.